Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, after a series of extremely serious, widespread, and high-profile cyber attacks on U.S. companies and critical infrastructure, President Biden called Russian President Vladimir Putin, warning him to take action against the Russian-based hackers believed to be responsible for the ransomware attacks. What, if any, action Putin will take to actually intervene against what U.S. officials believe are criminal hacking groups either acting in concert with or at least with impunity from the Russian government, is unknown. But what we do know is that while the U.S. is an extraordinarily formidable cyber foe, we're also the most Internet-connected country in the world, and as a result, we're extremely vulnerable. So it makes sense to both be cautious and strategic about how and when we retaliate. And one of the reasons this is so is that when cyber attacks come at us, they don't just hit government targets like the U.S. Treasury or the FBI, for example. They also zero in on civilian targets like hospitals, gasoline pipelines, and meatpacking plants. So that's why we're focusing this week on what we can do to push back against such threats through conversations with two experts in the field. One is University of Akron computer science professor Dr. John Nicholas. We asked him why these threats are so difficult to counter and what we can do to try to defend ourselves against them. We're also going to talk to author Thomas Parenti about his new book, A Leader's Guide to Cybersecurity, Why Boards Need to Lead and How to Do It. First, Dr. John Nicholas. The problem is you can't defend against something you don't know exists yet. And so what's really happening is we have these things you might hear called zero-day exploits. And zero-day means in computing day ones because we count, we start counting with zero. And so the security firms don't know about these until they've already hit, and then they react very quickly to find the security holes, let's say with Microsoft or Casilla or even SolarWinds, they try to patch the holes very quickly. Um, but what's happening is these nation-states and these international cyber-terrorists are beginning to use machine learning and artificial intelligence um, to develop new threats every day. And so the computers are making these new variants. And then on the good side, the, the white hat side, the computers are reacting very quickly to find how to patch these vulnerabilities. So when you talk about vulnerabilities, it's not just, let's say, you click on a link and there you got it. But it is more than that. It's the kind of software that runs the systems that run your computers on the back end of your network that are vulnerable, right? Right. Still, you have to do all the, all the good stuff like update your system and change your passwords and all the stuff that you can handle. But the computer programmers and the folks who are writing this software, the developers, test this stuff as thoroughly as they know how to test it. But inevitably, there's going to be something that, that's overlooked. And these cyber terrorists and cyber criminals or cyber warfare folks are looking to exploit anything they can within the operating system that, to get any access they can into, into your system. Now, the reason I called you yesterday to talk about this was I had read that this hacking group, they, they call themselves Our Evil, kind of like Dr. Evil. Right. And they're supposedly based in Russia, where a lot of these hacking groups are, that suddenly the server or the computer network 
that they usually occupy suddenly went dark yesterday. And and there's some question as to was it the U.S. that actually knocked them out of existence or was it Russia shutting them down internally? What do we know about that, if anything? It's really too early to tell. Everything I've been reading is, you know, all of a sudden just everything went dark and it's a bit of a mystery. So our best case scenario, I think, would be that, that our authorities were able to get in there and do something, maybe President Biden's call to President Putin last week adequately woke him up and he took some action internally to Russia. My suspicion, being a little more cynical than most, is probably that uh, our evil took them dark and they're going to pop back up as some other organization um, somewhere very quickly. Okay, that makes sense to me. Now, getting back to what President Biden said last week, and and I'm not sure whether everybody kind of got the nuance of that, but in the past, President Trump, President Obama, Kind of the line was, we will take action at a time of our choosing. But they didn't specify that they would take cyber action in response. And I think what President Biden said, it was less nuanced than that. Isn't it so that he just pretty much said, we're going to fight fire with fire in so many words? That is the way I took it. We have for a long time, and I think one of the reasons why we're getting hit so much now is we focused on being a a very strong cyber offensive nation, that we could do cyber attacks around the world to anybody at any time with relative ease. We didn't do a very good job of putting up our defenses cyber-wise. So I have no doubt that that should the Biden administration decide to launch an attack against somebody that the the NSA and, and the CIA will handle it quite expertly. So just to wrap up here before we go, you teach cybersecurity. What's being done then to beef up our cyber defenses? Well, right now it's still on a state-by-state basis. Of course, we have our degree track at the University of Akron, which is primarily cyber defense with enough offensive knowledge to be able to test your own defenses, although we are expanding that as rapidly as we can. But the state of Ohio has also developed a group called the OC3, which is a consortium of private sector folks, public, higher ed, everybody, government, right, all, all the constituencies. And we have been working to make Ohio very cyber hygienic through education, through the cyber reserve, through the Ohio National Guard that can respond to small municipalities that might have gotten hit but don't have the infrastructure to respond. That was Dr. John Nicholas, computer science and cybersecurity expert from the University of Akron. Now, our conversation with author Thomas Parenti about his new book, a Leader's Guide to Cybersecurity, Why Boards Need to Lead, and How to Do It. While, broadly speaking, board members recognize that they have a responsibility in the area of cybersecurity, that they are not currently well served with advice that is specifically tailored for them. And because of the technical nature of the field, many of them feel, if not intimidated, at least a little hesitant in terms of engagement. And so the uh, recent cyber attacks, whether it be uh, Solar Winds, the Microsoft Exchange, Colonial Pipeline, or uh, JBS, which are just four that immediately come to mind, is that each of these points out the necessity of having engagement at the highest level of a company, and therefore it's necessary for leaders of companies to have good advice. The other element, and this is something that each of these cases shows, though it takes a small investigation to uncover that, is that in the area of cybersecurity, there are just too many things to do. There are too many activities that could have value in themselves, 
but not actually directly contribute to making a company safer. And so what we need is to have a context or a focus that allows companies to know what is most important for them to do in the area of cybersecurity. And the best way of doing that is by having the focus on protecting a company's most critical business activities. And that's one of the main points of the book. I have read in the past that kind of one of the loneliest positions you can have in a company is chief information officer because you have all kinds of responsibility and you know that these kinds of things can happen and you keep trying to warn people in power positions, but they often just don't understand you or they say it's going to cost too much. That's exactly right. And I would say in addition to being lonely, I would say this is also a position not only CIO, but Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, is now an increasingly stressful position because they will be held accountable even if they did not have uh, the necessary resources, for example, to do the job that they needed. And so what is critical is to have a mechanism, to have a, a means of these technical people to be able to communicate effectively to business leaders as to what the business impact will be should there be a cyber attack. And I hear what you're saying. It's just that I'm not certain how the message, you must do this or we could have to shut down, needs to be more clear. It's something that the way to make that discussion more effective is to switch the context from talking about so much we need this technology or that technology, but rather to communicate to senior executives and board members in language they already understand, which is risks to the business itself, which could be caused by a cyber attack where they may not have been aware of the degree to which a cyber attack could impact risks that they're already familiar with. And I can give you an example. So with respect to Colonial Pipeline, the pipeline itself over many years has been shut down at various times because of mechanical failure, bad weather, things like this. But it was only in the context of a cyber attack that the entire pipeline was shut down. And so that's one of the things that needs to be communicated or understood is that the impact of a cyber attack can frequently be much broader and extensive than the kind of damage to a company that could happen from some other type of causality. In terms of advice, though, let's say, for example, if you were a chief information officer or a chief information security officer and you were going to meet with the board and you said to them, look, we need to spend $500,000 this quarter because X, Y, Z could happen. And they would be like, well, no, that's too expensive. What would the proper response be then? So what I would say is that the leading with the price tag is never a good idea, um, whether one's talking <laughs> okay. about investments in cybersecurity or, or anything. What I would say is that, and this is something that I've seen actually work very effectively across a number of industries, uh, across a number of different countries, and that is one first starts with the risks to the company that could happen as a result of a cyber attack how those relate to the risk appetite of the company, which is decided by executives and approved by the boards. And so you want to couch the entire discussion in terms of this is the impact to the company. Only when you have agreement as to the severity of the impact to the company does it make sense to then talk about 
what would be the expense to mitigate the risk. And then one of the things that is admittedly very, very difficult for people in the cybersecurity field is, as is the case in any kind of risk, no matter how much you spend, you're never going to be able to reduce the risk to zero. And so it becomes a a question of balance as to how much risk are you willing to live with. One of the biggest risks to companies besides, let's say, not updating their systems like their software is a lot of times it's a hardware issue and replacing a bunch of computers or servers is pretty expensive. So how do they have those conversations? Look, it's not just the software, it's the hardware, it's systemic, we need to do this, etc. So that particular discussion is one that if you are talking about critical infrastructure, so for example, water, electricity, transportation, anything that uses industrial control systems, those tend to be very, very old. And so those discussions are very difficult to have because oftentimes the the computers in those systems could be 20 or 30 years old. And so those are very difficult discussions. And so in those cases, it is a challenging argument to make because you are asking for a very significant increase in expense without a corresponding increase in, let's say, uh, production or revenue. And so it is only with examples of instances such as the Colonial Pipeline, or if one goes back several years to the hacking of electric power plants in the Ukraine, that could raise the awareness and concern of executives that investment needs to be made. In the area of traditional office systems, those tend to turn over more frequently. And so the issue you raised is not as significant there as it is in the area of critical infrastructure, which actually, as we're seeing with the Colonial Pipeline, is a much more significant area of cyber concern than what we've seen to date. Sure. And those kinds of systems are things also that support things like railroads and uh, power grids and dams, things like that, right? Absolutely. And it's something that within the cybersecurity field, there has been concern about these critical infrastructure systems for a number of years, but it is really only very, very recently that that is starting to catch the attention of the general public, and that would include executives and board members. Now, one thing that's interesting to note with respect to the Colonial Pipeline incident is that the computer attack never actually hit the computers responsible for the pipeline. It only hit office systems. And so the shutdown of the pipeline was actually the result of an executive decision out of an abundance of caution. It was not the result of the cyber attack. So one can only imagine the greater impact if the uh, the cyber attack had actually hit the pipeline itself. What this brought to mind for me was, remember, it was a year or two ago that Aramco got hit with a huge cyber attack, and that, that shut their systems down. And they had to replace, if not all, but a lot of their hardware across their whole company. Now, that was an absolutely huge attack. And that one did uh, focus on their um, IT and office systems. But the scale of it, as you pointed out, was such and the nature of the attack required the actual replacement of hardware as opposed to simply sort of rebooting it. 
Right. So this obviously can have a lot of expense. And I, I certainly get what you're saying about people probably not having a sense of urgency when it comes to old legacy equipment. Uh, to me, I would think like if I'm living in a house, I own a house and I know that my plumbing is old, I'm not going to do anything about it until it breaks. And then I'm going to be bummed out about it, but, but I'm going to have to do something. But with this, when we're talking critical infrastructure, that's even more sensitive than just the pipes in my house that are old. That's true. There are two interesting points, I would say, given the example you just gave. One of which is, generally speaking, if you fix the pipes ahead of time, it'll cost less than repairing them after. But I understand the psychological desire of, I don't need to take care of that now. The one thing that's different between the pipes in your house and critical infrastructure is if the pipes go in your house, you're the only one that's harmed. Whereas if one is dealing with any kind of critical infrastructure, the impact goes far, far beyond. And that's something that business leaders need to understand that the impact of their decisions or lack of decision have consequences that extend far, far beyond just the front doors of their building. And so, for example, with respect to Colonial Pipeline, there were gas shortages across the eastern seaboard as a result of that particular attack. You know, and and as a taxpayer, though, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I, I recognize it, I understand it, but I'm a little bit frustrated because for years, companies have been told you need to attend to this. And for years, people at the very top of companies have been essentially blowing it off. Now, the federal government is saying, okay, we need to make this critical infrastructure priority. And as a result, they're going to have a new policy. But also as part of that policy, they're going to be throwing my taxpayer money at it, which I don't mind. I like them spending my taxpayer money on important things. But the point is, is that these companies have known for years and they haven't done anything about it. So why should I, as the taxpayer, have to foot the bill? I empathize with everything that you said. And the root of it is that historically there has been no real motivation for the leaders of these companies to actually make an investment because the making of that investment then could have negative financial consequences either for them personally or for the company. And so I wholeheartedly agree with what you just said, that the interesting and sort of challenging part of, well, let's say government regulation in this particular area is that frequently cybersecurity regulation mandates certain individual technologies or certain kinds of audits or assessment that never keep up with the times. And by their very nature of being generic, never actually address the specific needs of specific companies. And so what is needed going forward, and this is a, a bit of a challenge, is we need to have some regulatory scheme that actually motivates the leaders of companies to take the kind of proactive measures that are necessary to prevent the kinds of cyber attacks we've seen or ones that would even have worse consequences. Excellent. So in wrapping it up then, what would you want to add? What I would want to add is that organizations respond to pressure. And they respond to either governmental pressure, they can also respond to pressure that would relate to their reputations. And so it's a case where I would encourage your listeners 
to reach out to both their elected officials as well as if they wish to um, uh, the leaders of utilities or other organizations in their area to express their concern about the importance and priority of protecting these organizations because the protection of these organizations, specifically critical infrastructure, is necessary for the protection of society as a whole. That was author Thomas Parenti. You can find his new book, A Leader's Guide to Cybersecurity, Why Boards Need to Lead and How to Do It, from booksellers like hbr.org and amazon.com. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.